Bimbala began to despair that her wedding would have to be canceled. And soon he was floating higher than the cotton. You are indeed very well skilled. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's always such a pleasure for me to be with you. So grateful every time that you tune in and bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And of course, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories for you that you can share with the people that you love. Coming up today, we've got stories from Ingrid Nixon. She's going to tell a story called The Three Army Surgeons. It's kind of a Grimm's fairy tale with an Ingrid Nixon twist. That's a good way to describe it. You're going to hear a story called Donkey and Toad from Barry Marshall and Jerry Burns, Ph.D., the story crafters they are together, a rhythmic musical telling of a story that you won't forget. And of course, you're going to hear a story called The People Could Fly from the storytelling duo of Kim and Reggie Harris. We'll wrap things up with a little Donald Davis, a traditional story that you know, the story of the little red hen. It's going to be a great hour, and we're going to begin with a story from Barry Stewart Mann. This is a story called The Woman and the Snake. It's about a girl named Ambala who can't seem to get rid of an illness. And one day, the snake she and her father take care of every day appears to her in a dream and tells her that she'll be healed. And when she finds herself free of the illness soon after, she begins living a confident life until she is again visited by the snake in another dream with another prophecy. Listen in as Barry Mann tells the story of the woman and the snake here on the Appleseed. The Woman and the Snake Once upon a time, in a small village in India, there was a sweet, beautiful, and very shy girl named Bimbala. Sadly, from a young age, she had trouble breathing. She coughed and hacked, wheezed and panted, but the illness would not go away. Her loving parents took her to wise men and doctors, healers and gurus. They took her to all the temples of the region and offered prayers to the local gods and goddesses. They tried many medicines and cures, but all to no avail. Poor Bimbala was destined to a life of pain, gasping for each precious breath, a life of sadness and loneliness. Bimbala lived with her family, her parents and her brothers, in an earthen hut with a thatched roof, beneath the shade of tall palm trees, near a grove of bamboo that swayed gently in the wind. Near the hut there was an anthill, not just a small rise in the ground, but an enormous, dark, grizzled tower. And in the anthill there lived a snake, a sleek black cobra. While many feared the snake, Bimbala's father, a man of great heart and decency, befriended it. He brought it food and kept its area clean and came to speak to it every day. He had no fear of the snake, and the snake had no fear of him. He called the snake Debo. Bimbala watched the attention her father gave to the creature, and she too came to care for the snake. Of course, Bimbala had to be careful— She could not spend too much time out of doors. The dust that swirled up from the dirt paths of her village sometimes made her breathing even more difficult. But she came out to visit and care for the snake whenever she could. One night, 
Bimbala had a dream. In it, Debo, the black cobra, came to her. He was the snake she knew, but he was also something greater, a snake god, like the great Lord Jagannath, an avatar, a living embodiment of the great Hindu god Krishna. In her dream, the snake arched his head upward, and then he spoke. I am with you, he said. You will be cured. Three days later, Bimbala coughed for the last time and then breathed deeply, easily, joyfully. She was cured. With breath, there came a new look in her eyes, a look of life, of health, of wisdom, and of holiness. People held her in awe. They believed that she had special powers. They say she looked at one man and he fainted to the ground. Word spread quickly of her recovery and her holiness. People came to meet her and to see the anthill. She was still very shy, but now she was alive. She smiled modestly as people greeted her outside her thatched hut, carrying a bowl and calling to the snake, Debo, come for your sweet milk. If they were lucky, visitors would see the magical black cobra emerge from the anthill and drink. Bimbala would talk to him and play with him, leading him in circles, chasing him about, lifting him gently into the air. Then sadness came into Bimbala's life. Her father died. He had been the heart of her heart, and now he was gone. The family went on, Bimbala living with her mother. Her brothers were older and married, and they worried for her future. They wanted her to marry. They brought many possible husbands, but she refused. She was devoted to the snake god, who she believed had cured her. One night, she had another dream. In it, Debo, who was the cobra in the anthill, but also the snake god, told her, I am with you. You will marry me. Nothing like this had ever happened before. People thought it strange. But anyone who saw Bimbala could see the peacefulness in her dark eyes. She had been cured. No one could argue that. Now she would be married. Her family made preparations with a combination of joy and trepidation. Word of the wedding spread, and people came from near and far out of both curiosity and reverence. A legion of cooks prepared a feast, delicacies like rice and mangoes laid out on plates and platters of woven banana leaves. The enticing aromas floated through the air. The bride emerged, dressed in a flowing yellow sari, with delicately woven traditional ikat patterns, with a red choli blouse, yellow markings between her eyes, and a yellow flower in her hair. But the crowd of guests was so large that the groom, the snake, grew shy and would not come out of his home. At first, nobody knew what to do. Bimbala began to despair that her wedding would have to be cancelled. But one of her brothers had an idea. He conferred with some of the village elders, and a brass snake, shiny and ornate, decorated with flowers and red markings, was brought out. The wedding went on. For hours there was dancing, and the women trilled in their throats in celebration. Finally, Bimbala sat beside the brass snake and lowered her head to the ground, 
to show that her new husband was like a god to her. For he was. After the wedding, she created a shrine to her husband in the front of the anthill. There was an image of Lord Jagannath, a small brass pitcher and bell, yellow and red flowers, and a plate for offerings. People would come to see, slipping off their sandals as they approached out of respect for Debo. They began to think of Bimbala as a goddess, and she began to think of herself as something of a goddess as well. She stood taller than she had ever stood before, and spoke more thoughtfully and with greater wisdom. At last, she was truly content. Now, most stories have endings, but this one does not, and there's a good reason. Not because it's an old bit of lore whose conclusion was lost or dispersed into many conflicting versions or never recorded. Just the opposite. Because it is a modern tale and, in most respects, a true story. It happened in 2006 in the village of Atala, near the city of Bhubaneswar in Orissa province in eastern India. A woman named Bimbala Das married a cobra named Debo in a ceremony attended by thousands. Further details are scant. By most accounts, few have even seen the cobra since the wedding. And their marriage is not at all conventional, more spiritual than earthly. But it is a form, though unusual, of love. And though few can truly understand Bimbala's heart, perhaps her story can remind us of the breadth of the human heart and imagination, the many ways in which people feel and express love, and the endless power of love to heal and bring holiness in places where before there were only sadness and emptiness. The Woman and the Snake, told for you by Barry Stewart Mann, here on The Appleseed. Now, up next, we're going to hear from Ingrid Nixon. Uh, she tells all kinds of stories arising from her work in the wild places of the world. But she also tells fairy tales and folk tales and other stories as well. And you're going to hear her version of a Grimm fairy tale, talking about the brothers Grimm, of course. It's a story called Three Army Surgeons, about three surgeons so skilled that they could remove their own body parts and sew them right back on by morning. And one day during their stay at an inn, the surgeon's body parts go missing. The innkeeper and his wife find a way to replace their body parts, hoping they won't notice the difference when morning comes. Puzzle along with this quirky tale as Ingrid gives her spin to the story of the three army surgeons. It's from an album called Grimm's with a Twist. Ingrid Nixon on the Appleseed. Three army surgeons were once on their travels, confident that they had learned their profession perfectly. They arrived at the end of the day at an inn and wanted to spend the night. And the landlord asked where they had come from and where they were going to. And it was then that one of the surgeons said that they were in search of employment for their talents. Well, the innkeeper asked, well, of what do your talents consist? And the first army surgeon said that he would cut off his hand. And in the morning, he would attach it again without any difficulty. The second army surgeon said that he would take out his own eyes and in the morning replace them. 
And the third said that he would cut out his own heart, and in the morning put it back in his chest, and it would start to beat. The innkeeper said, Well, if you can do these things, you are indeed highly skilled. Now, what they didn't tell the innkeeper was that they had a salve which healed whatever it touched, and it was in a bottle that they carried with them always and guarded carefully. When it was time for bed, the three army surgeons asked for a tray. The maid brought one out from the kitchen. The first surgeon cut off his hand. and put it on the tray. The second plucked out his eyes and plopped them on the tray. Dink, dink. The third plunged a knife into his chest pulled out his heart and placed that on the tray. Then the maid carried the tray into the kitchen and placed it in the cupboard. The landlord and the surgeons went to bed. Now the kitchen maid had a lover who came around late in the evening, and he tapped on the glass and she let him in. He was a soldier and he was hungry. So the kitchen maid went to the cupboard to get some bread and cheese, and in doing so she accidentally left the cupboard doors open. So as she and the soldier flirted in the kitchen, a cat slipped into the cupboard and made off with the hand, the eyes, and the heart. When the kitchen maid went to return the bread and cheese, she saw that the body parts were missing. She gasped, oh, What is going to become of me? The soldier said, What? She showed him the now empty tray and told him the whole story. And he said, Shh, shh, we'll come up with something. He thought a moment and said, Wait, didn't they hang a thief in the square today, and the body still hangs there from the gallows? The kitchen maid said they had. And the soldier said, Well, maybe he could give us a hand. Which one was it? Well, the kitchen maid thought a moment. The surgeon cut off his left, she said. But, but do you think that we should take the left hand from the corpse of a thief? And the lover said, oh, don't worry. If we take the thief's left hand, he'll be all right. So he took a sharp knife from the kitchen and ran off to the village square. Now it so happens, coming back with the thief's left hand, the lover saw the glowing eyes of the cat. He managed to catch that cat and plucked out its eyes. And when he got back, he said to the kitchen maid, oh, I have a treat for you. And he held out the hand and the eyes. And she said, oh, eyes. And he said, I. But what to do about the heart? Then the soldier said, sweetheart, didn't you kill a pig today and it's still hanging in the cellar? Yes, said the kitchen maid. And without missing a beat, the soldier said, well, that's just the thing. Go and fetch its heart. She went down into the basement and soon came back with the pig's heart. Then they placed the thief's hand, the cat's eyes, and the pig's heart on the tray, put it back in the cupboard. They kissed goodnight. The lover departed, and the kitchen maid went to bed. 
The next morning, the three army surgeons got up and asked the kitchen maid to get the tray with the various body parts. She brought it out from the cupboard. The first surgeon spread salve all over the hand and then joined it to his stump, and immediately it fused onto his arm as if it had grown there. The second dabbed a little bit of salve into each eye socket and then took the eyes of the cat and placed them in his head. The third wiped the hole in his chest with salve and then placed the pig's heart in that cavity and it began to beat and the tissues covering the heart healed instantly. The innkeeper watched it all and said with amazement, You are indeed very well skilled. The surgeons paid the innkeeper and were off. Now they had not gone far down the road when the surgeon with the pig's heart began to... And then he ran off the road and started to root around in the underbrush. And the others grabbed at his coattails and tried to hold him back. But but he slipped out of his coat and he continued rooting about. And he finally came back onto the road. But meanwhile, the surgeon with the cat's eyes began to rub them. He blinked repeatedly. He, he could not figure out what was amiss. He said, I can't see. I... I, I it, these are not my eyes. You must leave me or I will fall. Well, the surgeon with the thief's hand grabbed him by the arm and started to lead him down the road. Now, between the surgeon with the pig's heart rooting around in the vegetation and the one with the cat's eyes tripping and staggering, their progress was slow. But at last, at the end of the day, they reached an inn where they got a room for the night. They entered the parlor, and there at a table in the corner was a rich man counting his money. The surgeon with the thief's hand sidled up to the table, and when the rich man turned his back for a moment, the surgeon grabbed a handful of coins. The others watched him, horrified, crying out, You can't steal like that. What's come over you? I, I, I can't help myself, said the surgeon. My hand is drawn to it. Soon after this, they went to bed. And once they blew out the lamp, the room was dark, so dark the surgeon could not see the thief's hand in front of his face. They fell asleep, but they soon awoke to the shrieks of the surgeon with the cat's eyes. See, see the mice, they are running all around the room. Well, the two others sat up, they couldn't see a thing. In the morning, the surgeon with the misfit hand said, it is clear to me that we do not have our own parts. We must go back to the landlord who deceived us. To save time, they took a carriage back to the first inn. And once they were there, they told the landlord they had been deceived, that they had not received their own body parts. Obviously, one had gotten a thief's hand, one had received cat's eyes, and one had ended up with a pig's heart. The innkeeper called the kitchen maid, but she had escaped out the back door and never returned. The three army surgeons threatened to burn down the inn unless the innkeeper gave them a large sum of money, and the poor man gave him all that he could scrape together, and then they went away. But in the end, though they had enough money to last a lifetime, each would have much rather had his own hand, his own eyes, or his own heart.
a little absurdity from the Brothers Grimm and Ingrid Nixon. Probably a lesson down in there, too, somewhere. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with a story from the Story Crafters, the storytelling team of Jerry Burns and Barry Marshall with a rhythmic music telling of a story called Donkey and Toad. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard The Three Army Surgeons, a story from the Brothers Grimm told with kind of a twist by Ingrid Nixon. And up next, you're going to hear from the Story Crafters. It's always a pleasure to hear from the duo of Barry Marshall and Jerry Burns, Ph.D., their musical rhythmic take on classic tales like this uh, make them favorites. Donkey and Toad is the name of this story. It's a story about uh, a donkey who always brags about his long, strong legs as he laughs about Toad, his friend, and Toad's short, stubby ones. Toad enlists his children to help him win a race and instructs them to jump out at Donkey and sing their ancestral song at him as he passes by. You can tune into the lyrics of this quirky song as the story crafters sing along to Donkey and Toad from a collection called Classics with a Twist. The Story Crafters on the Appleseed. Donkey and Toad were always, 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 always arguing. No, they weren't. Yes, they were. No, they yes. weren't. No. Yes, no. Yes, they, they no, were. No. They, I'm no, they were never, 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 never arguing. Now that's true. You see... Donkey was always bragging about how fine he thought he was, and Toad always had to sit there and listen to him brag. Yeah, you see, Donkey would say things like, Hey, you know, I have the most beautiful, wonderful, long, strong legs. (laughs) And Toad... Toad has the short, stubby little legs. Ah! <laughs> now, how could Toad with short, stubby little legs <laughs> ever think that he could be Donkey with long, strong legs <laughs> in a race, huh? Well, now, Toad looked down at his short, stubby little legs, and he said, You know, my legs have always gotten me everywhere I've needed to go my whole life long. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, so they must be pretty good for Toad legs. Hmm. I think it's time for Donkey and me to go and have that race. A race? Okay. So they did. They went to the king. The king set up a race for Donkey and Toad. The king set up a 20-mile race. They set up a mile post at every mile along that race course. And they made one rule for that race. The rule was that whenever Donkey or Toad got to one of those mile posts, they had to stop and sing a song. And that way, anyone that was watching the race would know who was winning. 
Now, the race was going to be the next day. Donkey wasn't worried at all about a race against a toad <laughs> with short, stubby legs. <laughs> so the donkey just went to sleep. But Toad didn't go to sleep. Oh, no. You see, Toad was a thinking Toad. And Toad gathered up all of his children. He had 20 children, and every one of his children looked exactly like the other one. You couldn't tell a girl from a boy. Now, in Jamaica, the people speak two languages. One is English, and the other language is called Patois. And in Patois, the word for children is Pikni. Toad gathered up those twenty Pikni, and he spoke to them. Listen to me, my Pikni, now, because each and every one of you is going to help me win a race against a bragging donkey. I'm going to ask you for some help. Tomorrow, I want each of you to hide behind every mile post. And when you hear that donkey coming along and singing his song and bragging, I want you to jump up from behind that mile post and sing a song right back at the donkey. Now, those little Pickney were so excited to help their father that they hopped as fast as they could. They picked out a mile post and they dug themselves deep, deep holes in the mud. They covered themselves over with the mud and they went to sleep for the night. The next morning, the donkey walked to the beginning of that race course. Now, he wasn't worried about a race against a toad. <laughs> Short stubby legs. <laughs> so the donkey started walking along that race course toward the first mile post. But he walked real slow and easy because he wasn't worried about the toad. And when Donkey got to the first mile post, Donkey stopped. And Donkey sang a song. The song that Donkey sang when he got to that first mile post, it went like this. Ha, 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 me more than toad. Ha, 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 me more than toad. And the first Pickney jumped out from behind the first mile post and sang out his song. And it went like this. Well, the donkey was very surprised. Where'd you come from? Man, that toad is a little faster than I thought. Man, I'm going to have to walk a little faster to the second mile post. So Donkey walked a little bit faster to the second mile post, and when he got there, he stopped, and he sang his song. Ha, 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 me more than toad. Ha, 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 me more than toad. Second Pickney jumped to the top of the second mile post and sang out her song. Ooh, that donkey was very surprised. His eyes went bing wide open. That toad is a lot faster than I thought. Man, I'm going to have to run to the third mile post. Yeah, so donkey ran to the third mile post. When he got there, he stopped and he sang his song. But just then, third picnic jumped out from behind that mile post and sang out his song. Well, that donkey was so surprised. Oh, man, that 
sword is so much faster than I thought. Man, I'm going to have to run faster than ever I run in all my life. So he ran faster than ever he'd run in all of his life. But every time Donkey came to a milepost, he stopped. He sang his song. Ha, 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 me more than toad. Ha, 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 me more than toad. But every time there was a picnic waiting for him who would jump up and sing its song. Donkey ran to the last milepost number 20 as fast as he possibly could. When he got there, he stopped. All he had to do was sing that song and he would win that race. <gasps> when out jumped the 20th Pickney, who sang out her song first. Oh, well, that donkey hung his head in shame. Oh, because... Even with all that bragging and all that boasting about his long, strong legs, <laughs> the donkey had been beat in that race. And Toad? Well, he puffed up his cheeks with pride. Because he knew all along that the best way to stop someone from putting it down is to ask for help from family. And you know something? When we were in Jamaica not too long ago... We were walking down a road, and we heard those toads singing. They were singing a song remembering their ancestor, Toad, who beat Donkey in the race. And you know how that song went? And that's the story. <laughs> the Story Crafters with Donkey and Toad. Happy to bring it to you here on the Appleseed. Stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Kim and Reggie Harris with The People Could Fly. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard Donkey and Toad, told for you by the Story Crafters. Up next, Kim and Reggie Harris, a storytelling duo that bring to us a story of the people who could fly. You know, our country is still wrestling with a history so entangled with the enslavement of fellow human beings. A wealth of stories grew up among those enslaved people, and it's so remarkable to me that such a persistent thread among those stories is the thread of the mythical ability of the people to fly away to the magical country called freedom. Here's the people who could fly, recorded live at the Timpanoga Storytelling Festival, Kim and Reggie Harris on the Appleseed. Now they say, that in Africa there were some people who could fly. Oh, they had beautiful black shiny wings and you could see them floating on the air like you or I might walk up a set of steps. But somehow, don't know how, some were caught and packed tight in those slave ships. They endured the long and horrible middle passage. They didn't have room to bring their wings and forgot how to fly when they could no longer breathe the sweet-smelling air 
of their African homelands. Ah, but there were some who remembered. As there always are some who remember. And one of those who remembered was named Toby. Toby? Well, Toby was not his real name. Toby was the name that the master decided to call him on the day that the master bought Toby. Toby had an African name, and he was one who had just come from Africa. And so it was that the master took him back to his plantation, and it was a growing plantation, and Toby was one of his first slaves. And so it was that over the course of years, Toby stayed on that one plantation, and he saw many changes. Year after year went back, and and Toby and the master developed a very complicated relationship, as so many of those relationships were. Because it is said that, of course, slavery did not just injure those who were in the institution. It enslaved all. But over the course of years, Toby and the master did their dance, their struggle. And one day, Toby was on his way out into the field. By now, he was one of the elders. Now, people had said lots of things about Toby. People said that Toby had special powers. And no one had seen him do anything unusual, but they did talk about him. But on this day, it was a hot day, and Toby was on his way out into the field as he had done year after year. When the master came down from the porch and he called over, he said, Toby, Toby, come, come, come. And he said, Toby, you have been with me a long time. And Toby, you and I have have weathered the years, and I don't want you to go out into that field anymore. You've served your years out there. Toby, from this day on, you just do what needs to be done. Whatever you decide needs to be done. I trust you. And with that, the master went up on the porch, as he always did, poured himself a big old tall glass of lemonade, and sat down to enjoy the day. Now there was also a young woman named Sarah. And Sarah had just had a little bitty baby. She had to take that child out, put that child down in between the rows of cotton while she picked her hundred pounds for each and every day. Now, Sarah did not want her child growing up under slavery, and Sarah had heard what people said about Toby. And so one day, When Toby was doing what he normally did, well, she wanted to find out if what she had heard was true. Toby had started his day by going to the big house, which he did every morning. He went to the big house, he went to the back, and the women, they took care of him, gave him a little breakfast. And then he went over to talk to the carpenters to see what they were about for the day. And as the morning went on, Toby just made himself busy with one person or another. But in the afternoon, he did what he always did. He got himself a pail of water, and he walked out into the cotton fields, where he would walk up and down the rows, giving out water and encouraging folks as they picked. And the overseer did not like Toby out there with water. 
But the overseer couldn't say anything because the master had said, Toby, you do what you think needs to be done. And so it was that Toby was walking down a row when suddenly he came close to where Sarah was working. And when she saw him come near, she stood up in that row away from her work and she said, Toby. Yes, child. Father, please. What is it, child? What can I do? You see my baby out here. What you doing with that baby out here? You should leave it back with the other children. Toby, Father, please. I hear that you remember how to fly. Child, what's the matter with you? He looked around to see where the overseer was. And the overseer wasn't that far away at all. As a matter of fact, he was only 25 yards away. And the overseer called over. He said, Toby, what's going on over there? Toby was quick. Nothing here, nothing here. Toby looked back to the house to see what the master was doing. The master was sitting up on the porch, had a big old tall glass of lemonade. It was so hot outside. And the master was looking in the direction where Toby and Sarah were standing. And so Toby knew that this was not the day to do anything unusual. And so it was that he turned again to Sarah. He gave her a look. He put his hand on her shoulder. And then he walked back up the road like nothing at all had happened. Oh, but Sarah knew. And so that night, that night when she went back to the quarters, well, she got her things together. Now, she didn't have much to get together. But the next day, she had a little bundle. She had her little baby. She put them both down in between the rows. And the sun was shining down. And the sweat was rolling off. But she wasn't thinking about the heat. Wasn't thinking about the cotton. She was watching and waiting. And in that afternoon, as he always did, Toby grabbed his pail of water and he came walking out into the field and he started to walk down that same row where Sarah was working hard and when she saw him she smiled and she stood up to meet him and she said Toby, Father, please Yes, child. I am ready today I've got my baby, I've got my child, bundle you need to get that baby out of the sun Oh, Toby, Father, please I know that you remember how to Toby turned quickly to see where the overseer was and the overseer was in the next field, a hundred yards away in the opposite direction, on his horse riding away He turned quickly to see where the master was up on the porch of the big house. And the master was indeed sitting up there again. It was 98 degrees. But the master with his tall glass of lemonade sitting on the table on this particular day, the master was. And so without wasting any time, Toby moved in and whispered some words into Sarah's ear. And when Sarah heard those words, something inside of her started to change. She didn't even bother to pick up that bundle. She just held on tight to her baby. And the next thing you know, Sarah 
began to Oh, and soon she was floating higher than the cotton. Higher than the fences. Higher than the houses. Higher than the trees. Floating off to, to that, that beautiful, beautiful land called freedom. Well, as you might imagine, oh. when Sarah lifted off the ground, mm-hmm. there was a big commotion. Oh, a big commotion. People started yelling and screaming. Ooh, and Sarah's going to freedom. And when all that commotion happened, the master woke up, he knocked over his big old glass of lemonade, he came out, he looked up, he saw Sarah, and he said, get back down here, where do you think you're going? What kind of question was that? She wasn't coming back down to be a slave. Well, then the master looked around and saw everybody watching, he said, no, no, wait, 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 that is not... Sarah up no, there. No, no, that's, that's Sarah. Look at no, the no, no, no. That's, that's just a big old crow Sarah. floating around up there oh. in the air. You know, Whoa. it is awful hot out here yeah. today. Y'all just go ahead and take the rest of the day off. And, and they, they did. did. <laughs> they went back to the slave quarters, mm-hmm. every one of them, and they started talking. <laughs> did you see that? Sure did. Sarah lifted right up off the ground. She did. That wasn't yeah. a crow. I was in the next row picking. I saw her up there with the baby flying away. Well, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to be ready. Yeah, well, you know I'm going to be ready because I'm, I'm going to be ready. Up you there. know, you ain't never ready. <laughs> Say what? No, no, no. No, I'm going to be ready. You be ready. You be ready. Ha. I'm well, going to be ready. That night people were getting all kinds of things together. And the next day, out in between the rows, you could see all kinds of little bundles and things. And people figured that they knew who was making this happen. And the next day, the sun was hot. Say it was 99 and a half degrees outside. (laughs) The sun was beating down and the sweat was pouring off. But the people weren't thinking about the heat. They weren't thinking about the cotton. They were watching and waiting. And before long, Toby came walking out into the field. And he started walking up and down the rows. And one by 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 one. He was whispering in people's ears. And the next thing you know, one by one. By one, by one, by one, by one, the slaves began to And soon they were floating higher than the cotton. Higher than the fences. Higher than the house. Higher than the trees. Floating off to, to that, that beautiful, beautiful land called freedom. Well, as you might imagine. When people started lifting up over the rows mm-hmm. and flying off into the air, mm-hmm. there was a big commotion. There sure was. The master, well, he woke up, knocked over another glass of lemonade, came running on out, looked up and said, get back, daddy, where do you think you're going? What kind of question was that? They weren't coming back down to be slaves. They were flying to freedom. And the overseer, the overseer was jumping up, trying to catch people's coattails. But they were gone. They were gone. And then the master and the overseer, they looked at each other and they said, Toby. Toby. It's Toby. It's true. So then they started looking around for Toby. Where is he? And Toby knew. 
He'd better say those words one more time for himself. And once he said those words, the next thing you know, Toby began to And soon he was floating higher than the cotton. Higher than the fences. Higher than the houses. Higher than the trees. Floating off to, to that, that beautiful, beautiful land called freedom. freedom. Now, we have to tell you, mm. not everybody on that plantation went to freedom that day. Mm-mm. No, no, no. When they now, were... some folks the night before when mm-hmm. people were getting ready, mm-hmm. they were talking. They said... Toby. That's what they talk about doing this. They said Toby did that. That old man. I ain't he never don't seen do nothing to walk around with a bucket of water. Nothing. I had never seen him do nothing. Mm, mm, <laughs> that old man. Mm, fly. Mm. And so the next day, when people were getting ready to fly, some folks had snuck down by the stream and they were dipping their feet in the water. <laughs> and some folks, some folks had, had, had gone on back behind the barn and that. Well, we don't know what they were doing back there. Mm-hmm. But they was back there when all of a sudden they started seeing some folks fly over the barn and fly over the, the creek and mm-hmm. the river. They, and, and when that, people started flying, they all came running out late and wrong. <laughs> and they said, hey, wait for us. Uh, wait, uh, don't uh, leave us behind. Tell me, tell me, tell me. We knew you could. But you know, Toby could not go back. Or else he'd lose his own freedom. Mm-mm-mm. But his heart was so heavy. So he looked down and he called out some words. What words will say to you? He said, you don't have to be a slave. (laughs) You may not have wings to fly, but you can use your feet and take that railroad under the ground. He said, I never want you to forget about the people who could fly. And And I I never never want want you you to forget forget about about that beautiful land. Called freedom. Now let me fly. 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 Way up high. Way in the middle of the air. Now let me fly. 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 Way up high. Way in the middle of the air. Way down yonder in the middle of the field. See me working on the chariot wheel. Not too particular about working at the wheel, but I just want to see how the chariot feels. Now let me fly. Now let me fly. Now let me fly, now let me fly, way up high, way in the middle of the air. Now let me fly, 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 way up high, way in the middle of the Kim and Reggie Harris with The People Who Could Fly. We've got just a moment left, and let's fill it with a traditional tale. You know the tale, the story of the little red hen, told here by Donald Davis, who usually enthralls us with stories of his youth growing up in the Appalachian Mountains. But he tells traditional stories, too, like this one. You'll enjoy it as the end of our hour here today, The Little Red Hen. (laughs) 
Did I ever tell you, she started in, did I ever tell you about the little red hen? I shook my head no to answer her. Well, if you want a story, I will tell you about her. Once upon a time, my grandmother said, once upon a time on a farm just about like this, there lived a little red hen. One day she was scratching and pecking around in the dirt, and she found a little pile of wheat that the farmer had dropped when he was going to the mill. The little red hen could have eaten the wheat, but instead she thought that if she planted it, she could grow a whole lot more to eat later. But this was going to be a lot of hard work. The little red hen looked around for help, and she saw the old rooster scratching for bugs in the dirt. She said to the old rooster, Mr. Rooster, how about helping me scratch up some of this dirt so that I can plant this wheat and grow some more? I'm busy, the rooster said. I'm finding something for me to eat. I don't have time to help you. So the little red hen scratched and scratched all by herself until she had made herself a little garden plot, a lot like this one right here, but a lot smaller. Then my grandmother said, the little red hen picked up each grain of wheat with her beak and pushed it down into the dirt and covered it up with her feet. Pretty soon the wheat began to come up, but the weeds were coming up with it. Just like the weeds, my grandmother had been trying to dig out of her garden. The little red hen saw the old dog digging up a bone, and she said, Mr. Dog, how about helping me dig the weeds out of my wheat so it will grow free and strong? I'm busy, the dog said. I'm digging up my own bone, and I don't have time to help you. So the little red hen used her own feet, and she scratched up all the weeds. She used her beak, and she pulled out the little weeds. It was hard work, but she did it. In a few weeks, the wheat was golden ripe, and it was time to harvest it. The little red hen saw the pig pulling an ear of corn off of a stalk. He was using his mouth, and she said to him, Mr. Pig, would you help me pull this wheat down and get the grain off so I can take it to the mill to be ground into flour? Can't you see that I'm busy, said the pig. I am feeding myself, and that is all that I'm going to do today before I lie down and take a nap. So the little red hen pulled and pulled until she had pulled all the wheat down. Then she got all the grains loose and carried them one at a time and put them into a sack she had found in the barn. The goat was in the barn eating some mash it had found, which was really supposed to be for the milk cow. The little red hen said to the goat, Mr. Goat, you run so well. Would you help me take this grain to the mill? so I could get it ground into flour. 
I know that it won't take very long. I don't have time, said the goat. I'm just as busy as I can be. And besides, I don't like to carry things. So the little red hen got hold of the sack with her beak. And as hard as it was, she pulled the sack of wheat all the way to the mill. At the mill, the miller took her wheat and ground it into flour. He kept just a little bit of the flour for his pay. The little red hen pulled her new sack of flour all the way back to the farm where she lived. There she mixed some of the flour into dough. She kneaded it with her feet. She shaped it into a loaf, and she put it into the oven to bake into fresh bread. When the bread was baking, the smell of it went all over the farm, and all the animals got a whiff of that wonderful smell. Soon they were all waiting at the little red hen's house and watching to see when the bread was done. Finally, the bread was done, and the little red hen took it out of the oven to cool. It smelled so good. Do you need any help eating the bread? The rooster said. I will be glad to help you. I'm very good at eating bread, the dog said. I will help you eat it best of all. The bread looks and smells very good, said the pig, and I have come to offer to help you eat it. I'm not very busy right now, the goat said. I would be very happy to help you eat the bread. The little red hen just looked at them. And she remembered all that had happened. Finally, she made a little speech. I found the wheat and asked for help, she said, but no one would help me. I thought about giving up, but I didn't. I dug up the ground all by myself. I planted the wheat all by myself. I scratched out the weeds all by myself. I gathered the wheat all by myself. I took the wheat to the mill all by myself. I pulled the flour home all by myself. I baked the bread all by myself. And now, I guess I can just eat the bread all by myself just as well. So the little red hen got some butter for her bread, and she ate what she had worked for. When my grandmother finished telling the story, she put me out of her lap. Then she picked up her hoe and went back to digging weeds in the garden. I followed behind her, and I started pulling up weeds with my hands too. With my little hands, I could get real little weeds that were too close to the plants so that she couldn't dig them up with the hoe. And that very night, I helped my grandmother make biscuits for our supper, and I also got to help her 
ate them all up. A familiar tale to end our time together, The Little Red Hen, told by the great storyteller Donald Davis. It's been such a pleasurable hour sharing with you stories by Donald Davis, Ingrid Nixon, the story crafters Kim and Reggie Harris, and, of course, Barry Stewart Mann as well. The hour was written by Isabo Ng, our audio engineer is Stuart Foster, our producer is Jeff Simpson. You can find us online at byuradio.org slash appleseed for an archive of all of the episodes of the show, more than a thousand episodes and thousands of stories for your listening pleasure anytime you like. You can Google the Appleseed Podcast for something new just about every day here on the show. I'm Sam Payne, and I look forward to having you with us next time. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.